Good morning. Good, good morning. Good to see everybody. I love to hear that buzz, you know it. That means everybody's having a good time. I like to hear that. <laughs> That's all right. I was also reminded <clears throat> that this next week is daylight savings time. Yep, next Sunday is daylight savings time, and I think we go forward, right? The good thing... The good thing is, is that this time you'd just be here an hour early. You won't be an hour late <laughs> if you forget. But daylight savings time will take effect this next week. Man, our lesson this morning. If you brought your Bibles with you, would you open them up to Matthew 7? To Matthew 7. I've already shared with a couple of folks that in the preparation for this lesson, I've already learned a lot. I was convicted, and I've already tried to change my ways. This is a hard one. It's something that's easy to do at any time, even when you're thinking not to do it. Oh, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 5 from the New International Version if you want to follow along, but this is, boy, this was something else. I hope that I'm able to present it to you like it was to me as I, as I studied it. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck or the little piece of sawdust that's in your brother's eye, and you pay no attention to the plank that is in your own eye, how can you say to a brother, hey, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time that big old beam is right there in mine? You hypocrite. First, take that plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that's in your brother's eye. Man, this is a fascinating section of scripture. It's one that's frequently quoted, it's frequently talked about, yet... I really wonder if I understood it correctly, so I wanted to really dig in, and I wanted to look at it, and was I surprised. I'd like to help put that in perspective today as we approach it. In the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Jesus began in chapter 5, and we looked at that a couple of weeks ago where he talked about how to be blessed and envied by others, and it didn't match mine being poor in spirit and mourning over sins and persecuted for righteousness sake and I'm like that doesn't match what I thought blessedness was and then we got to look and last week we got into chapter 6 Jesus went throughout the rest of chapter 5 talking about your personal relationships and about morality and then in chapter 6 we saw that he talked about then your outward approach to things and he used giving and prayer and fasting as three of the items that he decided to take a look at, and we saw in particular prayer last week. And this week, as we slide into chapter 7, now he's going to get personal with us, and it gets personal. And he said, you who are salt and light, now let's talk about how you deal with others. And it's the Sermon on the Mount really stresses what true Christianity is. It really puts a desire of what God wants us to do in contrast 
to what those Pharisees and those scribes and those people who were teaching a false set of rules, what they were doing, Jesus is saying, I want you to see what really God is expecting out of you on this morality code. You see, they had established their own code of morality. They called it the Talmud. It was a book that had all of these different things. It was like their commentary. You know, if you, if you study the Word of God, you might look at commentaries, and a lot of people write them. But I would not take what the people write over what the Word of God says. If they help you to understand something, that's great. But see, these guys took the Word of God, and they wrote this big book of their commentaries and rules of what they thought everything meant, and then that was the only thing they went by. They forgot about the word of God. And so Jesus is going to point that out to them today on getting back to the word. And Matthew 7 talks about how we deal with each other. The first five verses talk about an unqualified judgment. And I want to emphasize that. It's an unqualified judgment of somebody else. The Pharisees, you see, they were so proud. They had reached this hierarchy level, and so they began to be proud and they began to look at other folks according to their standard of morality their standard of what the rules are that they wrote and what they wanted to do was to judge everybody else to whether you fit in to my clique or not if you were good enough and fit in and did all the things i said then maybe you could hang with me but if not then they would sit and talk about that and jesus now is going to bring all of this to light because what happens is when you do that you begin to take God's place. You begin to sit upon his throne to be able to judge other people. And what you think is going on in their mind. And when I said unqualified judgments, because there are some qualified things, and I don't really call them judgments, I call them evaluations. There are some things, and we'll talk about it later in this lesson, that you, some people like to throw up the card, oh, don't judge me. Well, there's judgments, which is unqualified. I think I know what's happening in your life, and I'm going to talk about it. You need to change that. But there are qualified evaluations that, that go on, too, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But they use their life and their standard of measurement instead of the word of God as the standard of measurement as they evaluated people. And so this passage today deals with one of the hardest things that there is to do, and that's to keep myself to my business and to examine myself. Now, in verse 1, Jesus says, do not judge. And this phrase is in what they call an imperative mood, and that means it's in a command type of a fashion, that do not judge. It's a statement of referring to being critical of another person to think you know the things about them and that then therefore you have the right to tell others about it, to smear, to gossip, to malign. Now there's a parallel passage to this. It's kind of Paul's explanation through the Holy Spirit in Romans uh, chapter uh, 2, 1 through 5, where he gives an explanation of what Jesus is talking about here. He says, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at what point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Know you not that God's judgment against those who do such things 
is based on truth. See, it's not based on their standard. It's based on truth when God does it. It's on his word. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, the forbearance and the patience that he is displaying, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you and I to repentance. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Wow, why does Jesus start off with judge not? And then Romans 2 here tells us why he's saying that. He, he expounds on that a little bit to say, first of all, I'm not an expert at judging. I am not. I don't have the right standards. I don't know about it. So first of all, I shouldn't do it. Second of all, this passage points out, I do the same things. And if I do the same things and what I'm saying about them, do I think that I am going to escape that myself? As no, it will fall upon me as well. And then Romans chapter 14 is going to give us another reason why we shouldn't do this in verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants either stand or fall, and they will stand. Why? Because the Lord is able to make them stand. You know, like I said a minute ago, when we begin to think we know and start to judge someone else, we are sliding God off his throne. He is the one who is the master, and it says what? That the servants report only to their master, and that is not me. If I try to do that, I am in effect sliding him off of his throne and taking his place and setting myself up and usurping God's authority and taking up his seat of residence on the throne. And when I do that, oh boy, I've really put myself up for some trouble. That's why we titled it, oh, I'm going to get in trouble if I do this because I have set myself up for it. Romans 14 where we were at, wraps it up again in verse 12 and 13 when it speaks like this. So then each of us will pass, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, what do I need to do? Make up my mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother and sister. First of all, I'm reminded that I'm going to give an account of myself to God and the account that I'm using it can be used back against me and also he says I am their masters so therefore stop doing it because they report to me not to you how do I put a stumbling block in front of somebody how do I trip them up you say how does that happen well let me tell you how that happens that happens because we talked a little bit about this Wednesday but if I begin to talk like that and to think I know what I see somebody doing over in a corner or what they're talking about, and then I start telling someone else. You know, a friend of mine said, and I think I shared it once before, believe half of what you see and nothing what you hear. Because you can see a couple people talking and they might be looking at you, but that person might be having a real problem 
that he's wanting to keep private and he's not talking about you but you think he's talking about you by the way he's doing it and now you're all mad and you're going to go say so and so was talking about me to him no he was talking about his own problem only believe a half of what you see and nothing what you hear because if I start to do that then what do I do I put a stumbling block to them to coming to church what is the number one excuse and I'll highlight excuse that people say that they don't come to church for the the buildings full of what hypocrites that's because I talk about them or I do things the same thing that I judge others I'm guilty of doing and even though it's an excuse people use that and if I do it I'm putting a stumbling block there another thing that I am so thankful for is that I don't get to judge anyone else and no one gets to judge me. Think about it. Do you think anyone else could be as righteous and fair and loving as God? I'll give you kind of a comical example of what I mean, why I'm glad that no one else does. There was a young couple. They got married. Things was good for a while, and then all of a sudden it really went south. It got to be very bitter, a lot of anger and hatred. And it just so happened that both of them ended up in accidents about an hour apart. And the first one to go stand before the pearly gates was the woman. And St. Peter started greeting her and said, now we're going to see for the qualifications of entering in. And she said, oh, what would that be? And he said, it's a spelling test. She said, I'm not good at spelling. He said, well, it's actually something that you were supposed to do as a Christian. It's love. The word is love. Can you spell love? She said, oh, yeah, L-O-V-E. And, you know, the trumpets went off and the gate opened. And as she entered in, St. Peter said, now, the boss has summoned me. I'm going to go for a minute. Will you man the gate while I'm there? And then I'll be right back. Sure, I will. Well, guess what? The other accident happened. Her ex came up. You can imagine the trepidation on him and the surprise when he saw her manning the gate. <laughs> you could see the grin on her face as she's manning the gate. And he approaches and says, what are you doing here? She said, oh, I had an accident. And he said, yeah, me too. He said, how do I get in? She goes, oh, it's just a small test. It's a spelling test. And he thought, well, I'm pretty good at that. Okay, well, what is it? She said, all you have to do is spell Czechoslovakia. <laughs> So, you see, I'm glad that I don't have someone else doing the judgment for me because the same standard that God used is not the standard that she used. And I, I want God's standard because it's explained for me here. And I can, I can go by that. And you see what I mean? That that's kind of a joking way to put it, but I'm glad that no one else has that responsibility but God. She was extended a standard of grace, but she didn't give it back. As it, as it were verse 1 then continues of Matthew chapter 7 that judge not that NIV says or but that's a purpose clause there's a reason behind it and Jesus gives that he says or you too will be judged that's an aorist tense and it means that point of time so the exact point of time that I begin to process things and speak it it's getting ready to come back on me at that point of time Divine discipline from God returns. And it's my choice whether I talk and whether I think the things or whether I don't. I have to make the decision whether to do that or not. Now, this sin of being judgmental carries with it 
clear documentation in the word and it is something that as I've studied it I don't want no part of so I said I've already examined myself and said I need to change my ways because even the littlest things can really get you out of whack it's really some of the worst kind of sins in the world attached to this and you know you say well how do you know this because it's what God looks as the worst type of sins again so far I've been off on what blessedness was and what this was I need to look to see what God thinks of the worst type of sins they don't match mine you say why is it so bad well because it combines your mental attitude type sins along with an outward sin of the tongue so you've got two things going on along with causing someone else to possibly stumble at what you're saying and doing so there's all kind of of balls being juggled up in the air with this it may not make my list of things but it makes God's list of the detestable sin let's check it out Proverbs chapter 6 verses 16 to 19 what does it say there there are six things that the Lord hates and again this is not not me talking this wouldn't be my list this is God six things yea seven that are detestable or morally disgusting to him haughty eyes you know that's that's a proud look a lying tongue hands that shed innocent blood do you see how those things begin to revolve one after another being proud about something and then some some lying things goes on changes your attitude to anger which can be expended out into actually shedding innocent blood a heart that devises wicked schemes feet that are quick to rush into evil a false witness that pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict in the community how many of those made your seven worst maybe one the hands that shed innocent blood what about the rest but I see in being judgmental that we can have either one or possibly all seven of them affect us it's very easy to fall into that trap and that's what our opposition wants us to do to get into it I don't want to be held accountable for a double compounding of discipline that God brings for that I'm accountable not only for what I'm committing but I get held responsible for what they did and I'm naming for it as well when I do that look again at our text of Matthew chapter 7 and verse 2 for in the same way that you judge others you will be judged and the original language there says by which judgment you mention concerning that person is going to come back to you and it means the word for judgment there means that you have already passed a verdict and already thought of the sentence that goes behind the verdict that you have given to that person what the results should be that's what the word means so this immediately places being judgmental of someone else in a whole new category doesn't it it's not like most of the sins and man as I started looking at this something as small as I thought was small talk really gets complicated I want to now give you a biblical illustration of this we had a comical illustration but now this idea of being held accountable for the sins that I mention and the verdict that I am giving to someone else I would like to show you a biblical example if you'd turn to second uh, Samuel chapter 12 in second Samuel chapter 12 we're going to read a story about King David 
God loved King David even though he did the things that he did. So that, that goes to prove a very good point. And I am so happy that he did. But what we're going to see here is the aftermath of his affair with Bathsheba. He had her husband Uriah the Hittite murdered. And now he is back at his palace and he is being approached by Nathan the prophet with all of this. And he begins, if you're there in 2 Samuel 12, he begins in verse 1 by saying, The Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he had came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain village. There was one man who was exceedingly rich, and, and there was another man who was poor. The rich man had a large number of herds. He had cattle, and he had sheep. The poor man... He only had one little ewe lamb. He raised it. He let it drink from his same cup. He nurtured it. He slept with it. It was like a daughter to him. But then a traveler came through, and he stopped at the rich man's house. And the rich man, knowing that he needed to provide a dinner for that traveler, decided not to use anything from his large herd but he went over to the poor man and took the little lamb that he had, the only one, and he used it for the dinner instead of the ones that he had in his herd. Now, it says in verse 5 that David burned with anger against the man that Nathan was describing, and he said, As surely as the Lord lives, the man that did this must die, and he must pay for that lamb four times over, because he did such a thing and he had no pity. Now let's stop right here for a minute before we go through the rest of the story. What was going on? David heard something. He burned with anger. There starts those mental attitude sins that we just read about in Proverbs 6. He started burning with anger. Then what did he do? He started issuing the verdict and the judgment of what he thought should happen along with it. He had no pity, he deserves to die, and he needs to pay four times over. He had his own standard, didn't he? He had his own standard of what justice was. Then he said that person was at fault, and now we're going to see that the man was David, and he is going to receive those back on him himself. The judgment's going to be placed back on him, what he just mentioned to that as we continue in verse 7. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. You are the rich man in this story. And this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, not you. But now the God of Israel is going to speak. I anointed you to be king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you the master's house. I gave you the master's wives into your arms. I gave you Israel and I gave you Judah. And if you lacked, if you thought that wasn't enough, I would have given you other things as well. Why then did you despise the word of the Lord? You did this evil in his eyes. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and you took his wife to be your very own. And then you killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, David, the sword will never depart from your household because you despised me 
and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. So this is what the Lord says, out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity upon you. And before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to those who are close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. What you did in secret, I am going to have this thing done in broad daylight throughout Israel. Then David, in verse 13, said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin and you're not going to die. Remember, that was the first thing he said should happen. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son that is going to be born to you is going to die. In Nathan's parable, David was the rich man. You see, you do the same things and yet you cast the judgment. He said, you were him. And what judgment did you give out to him? You burned with anger. You made a hasty judgment. You said what? Not only is he worthy of dying, but you're going to pay fourfold for that lamb. You're going to return four lambs for that. Remember the principles why we said we shouldn't judge another. Because we do the same thing. And we're not a good judge of it because now it's going to come back. We're not experts at their business. Nathan says... You are the man, and you did it to the poor man, and now you're going to get these things. In verse 5, David had mentioned, this man deserves to die. But in verse 13, he confessed his sin before God. So Nathan tells him, you're not going to die. I'm going to take that one away because you've confessed it. But there's still retribution has to occur for what you did and the rest of your judgment. So he did pay with four lambs of his own. Remember, he killed the lamb, so four lambs of his are now going to be offered in payment, like he said. The first lamb was mentioned in verse 14, when Nathan said, The child that is born to you shall surely die. Verse 18 of this chapter, if you're there, says that on the seventh day after his birth, the young child died. That was lamb number one. Lamb number two was David's oldest son, Amnon. He was killed by his brother, Absalom, in 2 Samuel 13, 28 and 29. Lamb number three was Absalom then himself, 2 Samuel 18. And then the last one, lamb number four, was Adonijah, Absalom's youngest brother, in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 25. David learned a very hard and a very painful lesson. And like I said, this convicted me this week as well. And I want to be careful not to make a hasty judgment on something that I shouldn't be doing because, you know what, I might be guilty of the same thing. And I don't want that paid back. Now back to Matthew 7 as our text as we begin to make our descent and land this thing. The last half of verse 2 in Matthew 7 says, Judge not that you be not judged, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. In the original language, the word measure is actually used three times. That word used there is also measure. So it actually says, with whatever measure you measure with, that is what will be measured back to you. So it's a standard or a unit. So the standard is the word of God. But if you're, let's put it in perspective, if you're baking, it might be 
ounces. It might be teaspoons or tablespoons. If you're a truck driver, it might be in miles. Whatever it is, there's a standard that's used for reference. Our standard is the word of God, not what I thought should have happened, like what David put out there. And another principle that goes along with sin is this. We always take it personal, don't we? When it happens to us, we take it personal. But I was surprised at something else as well. I want to handle the payment, but God says, I will take vengeance. I will repay, says the Lord. In Psalm 51, a psalm of David, and when you go there to read it, the very beginning of it says that this is a psalm concerning what David did with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. And he prays to God in verses 1 through 4, and he says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. I like that standard. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sins. I know my transgressions. I know what I've done. And my sins always stand before me and they haunt me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Notice that verse 4 again. Against you and you only. Well, I thought there was Uriah and I thought there was Bathsheba and the rest of the family that against you and you only. Others might be involved, but when we do wrong, it's to God and God only. And he is the judge. And I'm so glad it mentions here his standards of wiping out my transgressions in love and in compassion that he has. I do need to mention before we close this out, though, that there are times when evaluations and not judgments. We've talked about that the last couple of Wednesday nights out of here. For you see, there are things that are factual, things that you know. That is not making a judgment call. That is an evaluation of facts. And also, there are leadership roles that we have been given certain things in the Bible. We've given scriptural qualifications for like elders and deacons and things. So you have qualifications that there are times when people are evaluated according to that standard, but not judged. Because you only base it upon fact. And the same thing goes with what we've been studying on Wednesday night. We was actually studying about the man who had his father's wife. And what was said to happen with that because it was a fact and not a judgment call. When we do damage to the body of Christ. Then something has to be done because it not only affects the people in, in jeopardy of their soul. But it also affects the church the church got haughty they got that pride look they were bragging about what was going on instead of mourning they had it mixed up too like we did on those blessed things and he said do this so that you don't get caught up in this yourself that's not judging and drawing a conclusion that is an evaluation of facts and it's not only sometimes necessary but it's also commanded in the word of god as well paul gives specific example of those in the epistles so this passage is not talking about those things. This passage is talking about judgment calls that don't affect us in that type of way. So as we 
get down to verses 3 through 5 then of Matthew 7. Jesus says, Why do you look then at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, and yet you pay no attention to the plank that's in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take that piece of sawdust out when all the time you got this log standing in front of you and you can't see straight? So Jesus said, that's being hypocritical. That's why people leave. That's why you put stumbling blocks in front of people. Remove first and examine yourself, your beam, so then you see clearly to remove the speck. And remember, we gave two reasons why we don't do that. First, I'm not good at doing it. And second of all, I'm usually guilty of the same things. So it's hard for me to be able to do that. But what it says to do is to examine myself first. And I examine myself through the word of God. And it actually, the word means to become transparent. Our life is transparent before God. It sees through. And just like with these glasses, we use the illustration Wednesday. If I hold them up to the light, to the standard of the word of God, I am transparent. And I can see the smudges and the fingerprints and the marks. And that's the way it is there. You got marks all over your glasses, so why are you worried about trying to see clearly on someone else? And when we put it into perspective from the word of God, what Jesus is really saying here, when you examine yourself and you remove the plank out of your own eye, then you see clearly to remove the other ones. And you know what that means? That means when I realize that I'm a sinner, and I realized that I did the same things. And I realized that I didn't want someone talking about me. And I don't want God judging me harsh, harshly. When I realized the grace then that I have found through that, now what do I do? I don't go and talk about somebody. I go and I go to try to help the one who is struggling with the speck in their eye that I just removed from mine. Now I have experience now I learned about grace, and I go to that person instead of everyone else, and I say, let me help you. I've been in the same boat. Let's share together some things on helping you with this struggle that you have. We have a commentary on that as well as the worship team makes their way on back up to the stage. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 2, and you might want to write this one down. Use it and... And hold it close to you. Brothers and sisters. If someone is caught in a sin. And you who live by the spirit. Should restore that person. Gently. But watch yourselves. Or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way you will fulfill. The law of Christ. How do I fulfill it? First of all, I don't judge. First of all, I cast out the big old log out of my eye so that I can see clearly that I've been in the same boat. And then I gently, once I have learned and been restored and I am walking in the Spirit and I'm displaying the fruits of the Spirit, then I am able to go to that person that's also struggling and grab them by the hand and put an arm around their shoulder and said, let's share this thing. Because I've been there and I'm going to help you out. And in that way we bear one another's burdens. And in that way we fulfill the law of Christ. Let's pray. Man.
has convicted a second time as with the first, Father. Thank you for your word and, and explaining it out. I, I don't want to get caught up in what, what David did, and I'm sorry that he had to go through that as an example, as the New Testament said, that the things that are written before time were written for your learning so that you do not do the same mistakes. And that example is very vivid one of paying fourfold with your four lambs of why I need to mind my business first. I need to set myself upright so then I realize what grace is and I go to the person that's struggling and fulfill your law. Thank you for your mighty word, Father. And may the things that we have studied today, may our eyes see them clearly and may our ears have heard them. We pray, Father, that it will be applied to our mind so that it's always ready for us to put into use and to restrict us from what we say and think and do. And we thank you in Jesus' name for grace. Amen.